Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Trending. Happy Friday on this March for Life 50th anniversary. My name is Brooke Taylor in for Timory as she continues the critically important time of maternity leave. Our prayers continue to be with her family. Boy, do we have quite a show for you today. So I just want to jump right in because it is jam-packed. We have a special guest Dr. John Borkalski with us first. Layla Miller is back with us for the second half of the show. And I just want to kick off with a personal story. And I realize that what I'm about to say and the story I'm about to tell and the parallels that I am going to draw may be offensive to some. But I just ask for your grace because this is a personal story that I'm sharing that I experienced in Poland in the summer of 2011 and how it relates to today and the March for Life and the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade and the American Holocaust of abortion in the United States. So in the summer, it was June of 2011, my husband Jim and our newly adopted baby Carolina and I visited Auschwitz concentration camp. And this was about two weeks after we had picked up our daughter Carolina from the orphanage to join our family. She was 11 months old and I was pregnant. And that is a story entirely for a different show because that was uh, quite a miracle in and of itself. So finding out we were pregnant, adopting, also having three sons at home. And I recall though there just this surreal feeling holding our new baby girl in my arms while another baby grew in my womb. Already, I am a ball of emotions, if you can imagine, going halfway across the world for this beautiful daughter that we had prayed for for so long. And as we began the tour of Auschwitz, my eyes caught this photo, and it was on the wall, and it was of a mother like me holding a baby in her arms with a blanket just like I had with Carolina. And the caption above the picture described a mother and her children disembarking the train, and they were immediately and unknowingly sent directly to the gas chamber. The children were too young to work, so they were seen as disposable. And, you know, it's one thing to read about it in a history book or understand that. It's another thing altogether to be standing there, be confronted with this reality in such a chilling and, and honestly relatable way. It becomes very personal. So, you know, the tour continues and in another room, there are braces, there are leg braces, artificial limbs preserved. And now the human beings that these belong to long perished from Zyklon B, many rooms. And if you've been there, you know, whether it's glasses or suitcases. And for anyone, I think this is what stood out among all the things that it's hard to process as a human being what you're actually encountering. But 
the one thing that I take away and I go back to one week from today, by the way, is Holocaust Remembrance Day, is the disabled. Because for them, their demise was especially swift. Now, our daughter's orphanage cares for children with special needs. And we would later find out that the delays that our daughter Carolina had were not just due to her time in the orphanage, but because she has an intellectual disability and and severe autism. And I remember clinging to my daughter with this maternal protection, choking back sobs, and just this lamentation, you know, here is this heart beating in my womb. I'm holding this baby that we adopted. This this beautiful child had special needs. We didn't know it at the time. And did you know that, I mean, we see the, the number six million victims of the Holocaust, but that the first victims were children and children with disabilities, particularly. It's called the Forgotten Holocaust. They targeted institutionalized patients with disabilities starting in 1939 before the systematic extermination of the Jews. It was the patients with disabilities, children, again, the first victims. And why? Why? Because they were deemed as unfit for life. This was a mercy killing. And this is the tyranny of that ideology. They believe that the state endows man with rights, which it gets from its dictator, And that is what Marx said. It is an illusion that each man has a value as a sovereign being that is directly from Marx. And so all of this is flooding in my heart. On the wall in Auschwitz, there is a photo of a man who was executed there, and he shares the same biological last name as our daughter Carolina. So she was born about 45 minutes from the concentration camp in a place called Bitem, Poland. And You know, when you see that, I couldn't help but wonder about family history. But at the end of the day, we are all connected. We are a family. And we grieve when we see the genocide of our brothers and sisters, the human family made in the image of God. And so for me, that experience crystallized this undeniable parallel between the American Holocaust that we've been living through for the last 50 years. And the reason that in the top of the show, I said, I know, I understand that this may be offensive to some is because there has been much condemnation heaped on pro-lifers who would dare to have the audacity to compare the Nazi Holocaust to the American Holocaust of abortion. But it is appropriate. After reviewing the medical crimes at the trials of Nuremberg, the World Medical Association, you can go back, you can read, they adopted the Declaration of Geneva in 1948. In this document I'm reading now, it says, I will maintain the utmost respect for human life from the time of conception, even under threat. I will not use my medical knowledge contrary to the laws of humanity. Now, because those obvious Nazi atrocities were vividly in mind, and they were outrageous because we saw it. We, As the world began to see the images, were outraged. And of course, we know the parallels there, that when abortion is hidden and concealed, it's easy to forget or conceal the, the tragedy of it. But two years after that declaration, things began to slide. The cracks started to show a little bit that eugenicist, utilitarian kind of mindset began. There were two famous researchers, I think it was in the 1960s, in Brooklyn, and it was a publicized case of injecting live cancer cells into elderly patients. And then we had 
infanticide. And that came at John Hopkins Medical Center. There was a baby boy with Down syndrome left to starve to death in 1971. I mean, I can't even comprehend that here in our nation, the most barbaric form of euthanasia. And it goes on from there. There were at one point data showing that the number of infanticides a year was 2,000 in our nation. And we could really spend the rest of the show looking at case studies, how medical experimentation, contrary to the Hippocratic Oath, persists. Sterilization, reproductive manipulation, extermination. And so it is the revolution of nihilism that we are in battle with. And we talk about this, we examine, and we pray for the power, the courage in the spiritual combat, because we know that that's what it is, this enthronement of tyranny under the guise of mercy or freedom, which has then led to the genocide of 60 million children. But also, there are heroes in the midst of that. And I think for us, since that experience of Auschwitz with Carolina, it has been especially important for us as a family to, to learn the names of these amazing heroes along the way who laid down their life of these heroes of the Holocaust from, of course, we know St. Maximilian Kolbe and Irina Sendler and Corey Ten Boom and Witold Pilecki and Elie Wiesel and German medical student Christoph Probst and the list goes on, of course, Oscar Schindel and so many more that we look and see the great call of heroism that they ascended to. And that reminder of the importance of doing what we can where we are when there are laws that are contrary to to God's law, because he is who we serve first. And so I think for me, that has been such a great point of hope and encouragement. And we see that now, all that we have to celebrate and rejoice in this 50 years. Yes, to continue to mourn and to pray for healing and restoration, but also to look at the heroes that we have just the same. I think we will look back and recall Nellie Gray, the founder of March for Life, and so many others who who dare to defend those that can't defend themselves, to humanize those who are dehumanized. And one of those heroes, I believe firmly, that will be remembered is Dr. John Berkalski. He is an OBGYN, a former abortion doctor. His powerful conversion story has been featured here on Relevant Radio numerous times. I've heard it on Morning Air with John Morales, also with Drew Mariani, and here on Trending with Timory. He earned his medical degree from the University of South Alabama College of Medicine, completed OBGYN residency at Eastern Virginia Medical Center and the Jones Institute for Reproductive Medicine in Norfolk. And today, he is the founder and director of Tepeyac OBGYN and the founder of Divine Mercy Care. Also, by the way, that is one of the largest, if not the largest, pro-life family care clinic in the United States. So that is amazing. Also the author of Two Patients, My Conversion from Abortion to Life-Affirming Medicine. An honor to welcome him now to the show. Hi, John. Hey, Brooke. It is incredible to be with you, to listen with uh, one ear to you and one ear to the Lord. Uh, being Polish, uh, we're, we're not Irish. Uh, we're not Oberjowski. We are Polish. <laughs> and the code of genetics um, that has run through that people in that country runs through myself. Uh, like you said, it was beautiful how you said how we're, in the beginning was the code and the code was life and the code is mm-hmm. life. We are all one human family. And each of us, the least to the greatest, are one of us. 
the Our Father is real. And just to hear you talk about these associations and about the travesties and the hopes, I am deeply grateful to be on the show with you tonight. Well, it is, it's an honor and it's, it's mutual. Ditto, we feel the same. And I think, as you mentioned, being Polish and that thread that also is espoused to faith and courage and, and nobility, I know has been modeled in your dad. I wanted to bring that up with regards to today, <laughs> sure. you know, the anniversary, the 50 years since the Supreme Court Roe v. Wade decision. And right, of course, right. it's Im- important to acknowledge the victory that we just had. That's huge. And we will. But also, I remember in your book, you said where you were and what you were doing that day because your dad right. had such a strong reaction. And maybe you could yes. take us back to that memory. Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, I'm 62. Uh, This was, what, uh, in 72, 73. And all of a sudden, uh, Monday happens, and he drives up the driveway. I'm sitting out there as a 12-year-old shooting foul shots, practicing my foul shots after school as a eighth grader. He taught at the uh, Don Bosco Prep in northern Jersey. And he says, Johnny, it's Black Monday. Our country has legalized the killing of babies in the wombs of their mother. This is a day that will beg God for vengeance or beg God for mercy, but it may be too late. And I was like, oh my God, what's got this killing the baby? That doesn't make any sense. And then I went back to shooting baskets. (laughs) He was a man that above his blackboard had, what makes men good Christians makes them good citizens, Daniel Webster. He taught civics. He knew history, which we don't know anymore today in our world. He taught Latin because that's the foundation of language and meaning in the Western world. And he also taught religion. And he taught about being heroic in your weakness because of the power of God and the Holy Spirit coming through you to love like he loves. And I walked all away from that because of the tyranny of relativism. You know, uh, who is it? Flannery O'Connor and Walter Percy, a doctor, both great American writers, uh, said mercy leads to the gas chamber. Mercy leads to the gas chamber. And they were right, because when mercy becomes unmoored from language and truth, objective reality, the love of Christ, you're lost, you're floundering. And today, testifying down in Virginia and Richmond, uh, not being able to get a pain-capable bill out of the the committee, no one cared. This was merciful. Abortion is not only essential medicine, but it's very needed, and it shows mercy to not making people have to carry children that would cause them and their families pain and suffering. We are here. Now, this is post-humanism, and we have our work cut out. But as you know, we work for an awesome God, a great man, a great God, a great, you know, the Son of God and the Son of Man. And the cloud of witnesses up there are absolutely waiting for us to ask them for help. They are at our disposal, as you know, Brooke. And I just want people to know that God's mercy reaches everywhere, everywhere. I've done first, second, and third trimester terminations, abortions. 
and God's mercy and people's intercessory prayer, especially my mom and dad, who had to hear me say to them, Mom, you've kind of been behind the times. Women need abortion. It's good for them. And the look that I got on my mom's face that day, or when I heard, why are you hurting me at Mexico City? Yeah. I walked away. Psalm 95 is real. If today you hear his heart, harden not your hearts. And yet you still have to trust that even if your children or yourself or your partner or your wife or your family or your friends are away. No, if you entrust them to the sacred and immaculate heart, it's going to be okay. You've got to trust because his mercy endures forever. And that Dr. promise of love and mercy is just for all of us. Yeah, Brooke, go ahead. Amen. Dr. John Burkalski is with us, the author of Two Patients, My Conversion from Abortion to Life-Affirming Medicine, OBGYN. And John, you talked a little bit about the situational ethics and proportionalism and just all of these ways that we can get caught up in the gray area, which I know for many years was your story. And you just referenced a little bit, and for those that are so familiar with your story, although I could hear it over and over, you detail your conversion. And as many times as you tell it, I think it evangelizes hearts because it's so relatable sure. and real. So maybe for those that haven't heard, can you just give us the, that yeah. pivot point when you decide that you could no longer participate in abortion procedures? Yeah. So the pivot point is that at night, I'm volunteering in a pregnancy resource center and I'm becoming attracted to a wonderful, powerful, gentle, evangelical church, First Assembly on Witch Duck Road in Virginia Beach. But during the day, I'm just being a normal OBGYN resident. And that included, you know, sterilizing poor people. It meant harvesting eggs to make embryos and freeze them to treat them as property rather than as children. And I was doing abortions when needed during my first two years of my residency. Now, late one night with that fracture occurring and the data pouring in on abortion and breast cancer, abortion and miscarriage, abortion and mental illness, addiction, mm -hmm. substance abuse. This is real data from all over the world, epidemiologically and direct study. That's coming in. My heart is now the size of Grinch's kernel of a hard heart, maybe much smaller. And I was losing my mind. I was just losing myself. And I could feel that heaviness stealing my heart every time doing it. And I'm aborting a baby in one room, but saving the baby at the same gestational age, 22 weeks, about one pound old, one pound big. In one room, I'm saving the child because the mother wants it. In the other room, I'm ending the life because the mother doesn't want it. And I sure as heck don't want it. Right. I deliver, I abort the baby, but guess what? The baby is born alive and it starts squeaking and crying and wiggling. Now I caught it in a bucket and I was going to suffocate it with a lap pad to prevent the mother from hearing it because that's mercy. Mm -hmm. That's what we do. That's what we do for, you know, children born alive from abortions. Now, but I, I somehow figured that the baby was heavier. I put it on a scale. It was over 500 grams, which is over a pound, which means I had to call the neonatal intensive care doctors. She comes in with her entourage going to save this attempt to resuscitate this child. 
And she looks at me, understood what I did and says, hey, Dr. John, stop giving, stop treating my patients as tumors. Have coffee with me tomorrow. The very next day, she says to me, Johnny, you're better than this. You're so good. People line outside your clinics. I mean, your clinic attracts people because you're so good at listening and you're good with skills and you're treating and you make house calls. But this idea of treating the second patient, my patient, as a tumor, you've got to rethink this, young man. Well, I said, you know, I'm kind of beyond that right now. She says, listen, I knew that you grew up Catholic. I just got back from a place called Medjugorje in Yugoslavia. You need to go because something's happening there. And I just, I'm a different person. It really was good rest. Two days later, my mom says, hey, John, do you want to go to Yugoslavia? I know you love Dubrovnik. How about <laughs> stopping with me at that hill country, yeah, Medjugorje? And I'm like, this is 1989. And I said, are you kidding me? I'm going to a church now where this is not a big deal. And I'm not sure, but I'll go because it's a trip with you, Mom. Mm. We go there. She lets me walk around. I take my script Bible up to the hill, this apparition hill. And I was, you know, I'm not interested. Yes, I grew up with Fatima. Yes, I grew up with Lourdes. Yes, I grew up with Guadalupe. And I loved mm. her. But I was convinced because I was worshiping my own interest, my own understanding of Scripture, rather than the mercy of 2,000 years of wonderful church teaching. Uh, on a hill, a young woman came up to me speaking French, but I heard her in English, apparently. She leaves. She knew who I was. The mother, <laughs> in my prayer at that moment, I smelled roses, and there before me, while I was sitting reading scripture, I came in touch through prayer with the sacred and immaculate hearts. I fell on the ground because in the presence of pure love, you know how sinful you are. I was a leper. I became blind. They literally lifted me up and they enabled me. She enabled me to, to be in the side of Christ with my hand. And I touched mercy and love and I was done. I was not worthy, but I was loved. Johnny, if you want to help us renew the face of the earth, practice excellent. This is all in prayer, by the way. Yeah. Practice excellent medicine. See the underserved daily. And oh, by the way, follow the teachings of my son's church. And oh, by the way, when you leave this hill, go show yourself to a priest. Walk down the hill. Staggered down the hill. Wandered the mile to the church. There in the empty parking lot or the empty field, there was a priest sitting in a chair. Did I even remember how to say this? Hey, uh, excuse me, Father, do you speak English? Yes. Please sit down. You look, you look like a weight has been lifted from you. Not yet, Father. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, bless me, Father God. And it's been... 16, 17, I don't know, a long time since my last confession. Mm. Last week, I directly dismembered a one to two pound infant in the womb of its mother. And I just went through the list. I was a racist because I was sterilizing poor people because they were poor. All those things at Auschwitz that you talked about, I played the role of Mengele on the dock. Mm. Some people got pushed because they were not good enough. They were unfit. Yes, I aborted 
unborns for any disease, any illness, an extra digit on their finger, whatever the mother wanted, because they're in fear at this moment. They don't know. They can't imagine themselves with a not perfect baby. I need it. I need it over because I, I can't live. I, I can't punish my child. I need, I need to stop it suffering. So we aborted it. And that's what's happening today. And so today at Tepiak, you know, OBGYN and Divine Mercy Care, one of the greatest things that was shown is the perinatal hospice. Yes. We have women travel to our center because they've been to three or four or five other good Christian men or women, and they all kind of said, you know, this child really is incompatible with life. And I know the Lord wouldn't mind if, you know, this is just, you know, you're suffering too much. Well, we kind of approach it as, well, as a mother, you want, this ch- you, 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 you want to spend time with your sick child, and yes, your child is so sick. But right now, while it's attached to you inside, there's no pain. This child's living large, man. I mean, it's with its mother. You love it. Yeah. And oh, by the way, we'll walk with you through this. And it won't be easy. But I promise you, I've done them both ways. I rapidly took you to an abortion, which I called an early delivery. Because remember, most of these kids are wanted. Well, right. convert it that from wanted to welcome because you welcome people. And this idea of a perinatal hospice, I can tell you, when you present it to somebody in that state, they're like, why didn't anybody else tell me about this? Well, it's because everything that you laid out clearly in your incredible history lesson about the European issue before the 1940s. And I'm telling you, you're spot on, Brooke, spot on. You capture my heart, and I can tell you that It's also capturing the hope, because when you actually give people an option in a very clear, gentle, but firm understanding and walk with them where they are, meet them where they are, I promise you, they choose perinatal hospice almost all the time. And they do it with courage and with incredible pain, but they're leaning into it rather than perpetuating it on their child. And it is the story of the cross that the actions that you committed, you see God's mercy and what an apropos name with divine mercy and also the redemption and the resurrection. It's so difficult to look at the time because we're almost out of time here and I feel like we're just getting started. But as you were talking, it just reminds me of the prophetic scene in Shakespeare's Macbeth and Lady Macbeth and that scene where she is sleepwalking and she is rubbing her hands for a quarter of an hour, lamenting, will my hands never be clean? It's the out damn spot scene where the blood, she can't get the blood off of her hands. And she says, all the perfumes in Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. And of course, when that was written in the Elizabethan era, I'm sure that Shakespeare could have in no way imagined the Holocaust of of human lives that would happen, our infant, most vulnerable and precious children in this nation. And for you to have come full circle and now have the largest pro-life clinic in the United States. It is beautiful. It's heroic. And as we wrap up, maybe just a final note of encouragement for others in the medical field um, that you might share. Sure. God's mercy is from age to age and knows no limits. And he is there waiting for you like a daddy that just wants you back and home. 
to confess, just confess it to him. Give it all. Give every problem you have to him and watch what the Lord will do in your life through the cloud of witnesses in heaven and those that are on earth with you. And I just want to encourage people just to always trust Jesus Christ and his divine mercy that poured from his heart. Um, and also pray for us at Tepeyac OBGYN and Divine Mercy Care. Um, there's a lot of work to be done in helping others see the beauty and the joy and the patience and the, the, the dignity of human life in medicine. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Brooke. And uh, you, your John. comment about Macbeth is just spot on. Yeah, it's um, one to revisit if you haven't in a while. Go back and, and read that and check that out. Thank you again for your time, your testimony, your fidelity, the call. Dr. John Burkolsky, Two Patients, My Conversion from Abortion to Life-Affirming Medicine. We pray for you. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. God bless you. We will be right back. Stay with us here on Trending. You're listening to Trending with Timley, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. The younger generation of Black, Latina, Indigenous, and women of color are taking our rightful place to expose the mass genocide of our children and the stain of blood across the movement that says it's standing to protect us. No. You've used us as a shield to hide your trauma and tug of war in your own community. You've mocked impoverished communities all while putting clinics in them. You've told me that I can't be black and pro-life because black women need abortions more than anyone. You have pocketed off the fear and pain of women and minors who don't feel fit to parent. You've handed minors abortion pills in silence and told them not to tell their parents. The aches and pains of rape trafficking and fear of mothering has made you rich. I stand here today and I proclaim life. I proclaim that future generations will live and not die. That they will be seen as enough to live. I stand in place of the pro-life black women across the globe who are suffering in silence. And we resist the evil strategy to pluck us out like weeds. The time is today, and let it be forevermore that we resolve in our hearts that we are different and yet the same. We bleed the same. We must march hand in hand. We must march together because in unity there is strength. Amen. You're listening to remarks from Trine McGee. She is a pro-life Democrat representative from Connecticut, speaking on stage today at the March for Life, the 50th annual March for Life. And that was just before Coach Tony Dungy. What a lineup today. Grateful for her message. What a powerful speech because Trine herself, she has talked about this. Pro-life Democrats are being forced out of the party. We see this. We know the extreme radical abortion-minded Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. So here is more evidence of hope as, as she speaks. And we know when it comes to protections for the unborn, there's a lot of work to do. We know that. But today also is a reminder that there have been great victories. There's been great momentum. Planned Parenthood has closed a record number of locations. So we praise God for that. And welcome back to the show. My name is Brooke Taylor. Happy, delighted to be with you and to welcome our guest back again. She is Layla Miller. She was with us last 
last Friday up until we had some technical difficulties. So I'm glad to get her back again to finish our conversation. And our studio lines are open. You can call, feel free to join the conversation, one 914 9149 is the number to call to be a part of the show. Hi, Layla. Welcome to the program. Hi, Brooke. It's great to be back with you. It's 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 the same. It's so fun because um, I feel like we talk weekly now and it's a blessing. <laughs> I love and it. I know that when I was revisiting, the decision came down last June for the Dobbs, the reversal of Roe. You wrote a, a blog post about that. I think you wrote a few things about it, but I just recall that you, I remember said you weren't even sure in the years that you've been invested in this movement, if you would ever live to see this day when Roe was overturned. So maybe as you assess the landscape, what what do you observe now of how we're doing and where we're going? So as as jubilant as that day was and how amazing that was, um, now we're, we're going to have to watch the states, of course, because Right. Boy, Satan does not like to be defeated in any way. And he I think he kind of knows he's in the last gasp of his powers. You know, I don't know if that's 10 years or 100 or 1,000 years, but this is it. You know, he's unleashing. And so now we're seeing these really, really vicious bills coming up and, and, and constitutional amendments coming up in the states. And, you know, so he's trying to take take these lives in a different way, um, so it's not over. <laughs> it's definitely not over. But, well, uh, and I was wondering if you could respond to this because there was a listener of yours who left a comment or a reader. And I thought, you know, this is something good to consider. She makes a good point. And just wondering your reaction to this. Her name is Kathleen. And she said, Layla, I think one of the hardest things for me dealing with this debate is the generational shift. Most older generations insist abortion is rare and only for serious reasons. This is not so for my generation, which was born a decade or so past post-Roe, abortion on demand and without apology is a significant portion of the pro-choicers. Many do not even care if the fetus can be considered a life. In fact, it depends on the mother or her inconveniences, and that is all that is enough for it to have no rights. Many of these women are now mothers themselves, and they still hold such callous disregard. Change hearts and minds. There is no heart to reach. They have hardened beyond what humans can influence, and they are actively advocating for others to be harmed. I know many echo that sentiment because of what we've seen. Your response to that? Yeah, I really do believe she's right that there has been a shift, because I remember, um, you know, earlier in the pro-life movement, that the people on the pro-abortion side would talk about, um, you know, blobs of tissue, or this isn't really a life, or, you know, there's nothing there. It, it shifted, you know, after a while it started to shift to, um, oh, yeah, no, it's human life, but we can kill it anyway, and this is why we have the right to kill this human being. And so it, it did, it, it really shifted. I thought for a while it was going to be more humane, you know, once we see the ultrasounds, and the, but it just, they, just, they couldn't escape the truth of it, that this is a, a human being, a human life, so they had to then justify why we're still going to go ahead and kill this anyway. So it, it is, it's kind of chilling that the more information some people get and the more truth they have, they have to become more kind of unhinged and, and, and cold-hearted in order to justify uh, you know, and overcome these truths that they really, it, it's undeniable, you know, undeniable that it's a human being, 
but we're going to give you reasons why we can kill this particular class of human beings anyway. And you talk a lot about a cultural shift and, and just right there illustrating that, understanding not not just the symptom, but the root. Let's go to the root and take the dressing, take the bandage off and see. It's uncomfortable, it's painful, but let's see what's going on so we can heal that. And one of the points that I heard you make is the uncanny similarities between abortion and divorce. That's an area that you've written about and that you've collected a lot of other people's stories. So it's not just your anecdotal opinion, but really this vast swath of lives. Could you tie that together for us? Yeah, absolutely. And before people get upset by that connection, please do remember that a lot, a, a, a major proportion of abortions are by uh, women and girls from broken families. Uh, that's a huge wound. They start looking for love in all the wrong places. They start, you know, and it's, it, it is connected, whether we want to believe that or not. But anytime you mess with a family and marriage, you're going to mess with life, right? The human, which is the, the, the offspring of what should have been a union or a marriage. So they are connected. And the arguments for divorce, I started to realize, are the same that people use for abortion. They're identical, um, you know, first of all, they argue hard cases immediately so that you can't even talk about the subject because they want to shut you down immediately. You know, well, what about the life of the mother? What about, you know, deformities? Well, in the same way with divorce, it's, well, what about abuse? You know, and what that does, instead of saying, well, let's see what the church says about all those things, it shuts the conversation down. So you can't right. go forward. You can't go forward with the 99% of other, you know, the non-hard cases where we're still allowing you know, abortion and divorce and all that. So that's, that's one way it's very similar. Um, it's a freedom issue. You know, you were talking to the good doctor there. I remember hearing an abortionist say once that she felt like she was giving these women their freedom back, giving their lives back to them. Well, you hear that a lot with divorce. Like the girlfriends will tell the, you know, the unhappy wife, well, you, you just need to be free of him. You know, you, you need to have your life back. So that's another one. Um, then there's the lie that it's once and done. You know, once it's done, yeah, it's going to be terrible. You're going to have to go through this divorce or this abortion. But once it's over, it's going to be fine. Like, you, you won't suffer any ill effects. It's just, it's just one thing. It's bad. Swallow it. Go on. Right? Same, same argument. Um, right. And then there's the second chances argument. You know, well, this marriage wasn't right. You know, this baby wasn't healthy. Uh, you know, this time wasn't the right uh, time or the right economic situation. This marriage was not, you know, I'm not compatible with this guy or this woman. So you have a second chance. You'll have another baby, right? You'll have another marriage. You'll have another chance at romance. So that's a big thing, too. Then there's the perennial, you know, you deserve to be happy and God doesn't want you to suffer. There's that, right? We use that, both, both arguments for abortion and for divorce. Right. And then we have the everybody's better off argument, including the child. They will argue that in abortion, the baby's better off because it would have been born into poverty or suffering or some kind of, like we all suffer, right? But we're not, you know, we're supposedly if it's a kind of suffering we don't deem appropriate, we can kill the child. And it's kind of the same for the, the killing the child's family. It's like, well, the children are going to be fine. You know, the, the child, it's best for the child if the parents divorce, um, even though most, most divorces are, are low-conflict divorces, believe it or not. Um, right. So there's that. And then, of course, the, I kind of wrap it up with my, the idea that, well, it's not a, it's not a real baby anyway. Well, and we, we do the same thing with, well, it's not a valid marriage anyway. Mm -hmm. So if you feel like you're killing 
something that's not valuable and not real, you can justify that, right? And just and just right. move on. So, but it's uncanny. This is how the devil works. Like these same kind of whispers that that Satan whispers in our ears, it tickles our ears, is used for the death of a family and the death of a marriage and for the death of these of these children. So we just have to tune in to the spiritual part of this and realize what's happening. Yeah, and to make those connections. They they are yeah. clear and it makes sense and it's painful, but it's necessary in order to be able to heal and move forward. Today is the 50th annual March for Life. This year in particular was a celebration of overturning of Roe as we look in the next chapter of the pro-life movement. And that's what we've been exploring on this hour of trending. Dr. John Burkalski, an OBGYN doctor, previously performed abortions, was with us earlier in the hour, talk about his conversion. Layla Miller is with us now and we want to continue the conversation. We will do that when we come back. one 914 is the studio line. Give us a call. Were you at the March for Life today? Do you have a question for Layla? My name is Brooke Taylor. In for Timory, we will be right back here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Stay with us. listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. A lot of pregnant women who have been told that they are pregnant with a child with Down syndrome. What do you want to tell those women? Your child will be a blessing to you and to the world. And... And you will be your perfect mom. And God trusts you. On behalf of all people with Down syndrome, and especially those whose life is threatened in the womb. America, we need you and you need us. God bless you, Casey. Casey Dunning, who has Down syndrome, speaking at the March for Life with her twin sister, Sister Mary Casey O'Connor. And she is a member of the Sisters of Religious Life, a religious order devoted to promoting, serving the church's gospel of life. Just so beautiful. We know, we've heard those statistics that like 92% of babies with Down syndrome are aborted. It's hard to even process that number. You talk about discrimination. It is often we who are disabled. That's one of the things in autism you learn as an autism parent. It's a perception deficit disorder. Well, who has the perception deficit? Often those who are labeled as typical or able-bodied, and uh, certainly who would say those that have a disability are not worthy of the fullness of life. Um, It is something that we need to rectify and pray for truth and restoration. But God bless Casey for her witness and the massive turnout today in D.C. for the March for Life. We've been talking about that this hour, first with Dr. John Burkalski, who is a pro-life physician. He had a great conversion and now has one of the largest pro-life clinics in the United States. Layla Miller is on with us now, really making a fascinating correlation to divorce and abortion. So many that go in Four abortions come from broken homes in one form or another, and just compelling evidence drawing that connection in in some degree or another. And there's so much to explore here. Layla, we have a, a phone call. I want to see if we still have Fern on the line. I uh, wanted to add a comment. Are you there with us, Fern? 
Yes, I am. Hi there. You're on with Layla. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say that I think some of the, most of the, most of these women are, are um, it, it's like they're programmed to think only about themselves. Like, you know, think about your, yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about this baby. Don't think about your, don't worry about that husband. You can get a better one later on, you know, and they're, they're like, they have happiness there that God gave them. And it's so sad that they don't see it. I mean, they have a baby. God gave them this baby and they should be happy with this, what's right, right, right in front of them. Isn't that sad? They're looking for happiness and it's there right in front of them. <laughs> I, I just can't get over that. I just, you know, life is a gift no matter what form it takes, you know, and, and um, you, you, you take that life and you, it, 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 you, it, you give life, you give it life and you give it love and it gives it back to you. And it comes around, whatever, you know, it comes back to you. And they, they Thank got you the so much. right there. It's so sad. Yeah. It's true, right. and I think you're spot on because it's this idea of what is happiness in the, in the worldly version is it's myself, it's my own liberation. And when truly, when you look at salvation history and um, it, it is laying down our life, it is giving of oneself and this lie that I will be liberated and free is really a form of slavery. And Layla, you can pick it up from there, but that's a great point, Fern. Thank you. Right. So I, I look at a lot of things through the lens of order and disorder. And if we put things out of order, uh, that's kind of what hell is. <laughs> you know, if you um, put yourself first, which is this is the me, you know, um, it, it's beyond even the me generation. I mean, it is literally uh, whatever I feel that makes me happy, comfortable and fulfilled. That is what we are you know, taught now, the younger generation, especially they're taught to that is paramount. Everything takes, you know, second place to me and my desires and my feelings. And then, um, you know, but we're supposed to, of course, put God first and then others next, right? The first, the two great commandments. And then, and then we, we self-sacrifice for, for the others and we, and we, and we live our lives for God's glory. So we've inverted everything. And so when it's, it's inverted um, and it's all backwards, then you have, you have chaos, really, and you have evil. Um, so you do have a generation that isn't understanding that we are connected <laughs> to others. And it's funny because they talk a good game about, um, you know, oppression of the weak or the, uh, the voiceless, but, but really the weakest and the most voiceless, of course, are the unborn. Um, and if you um, invert that, you can, you can, again, you can justify anything. You can even say, Hey, uh, I've asked people, you know, it, 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 they'll, they'll make arguments that, well, I can kill this child because no child is going to borrow my organs without my permission. And I'm thinking, where's the moral obligation of a mother to her child? Like, we know in society there is one because we have laws. If a mother leaves her toddler on the street out of neglect, she'll get charged with something, you know, child neglect, and she might have her child taken away. We know there's moral obligations between mothers and their children, and for some reason, um, we have not applied that to the unborn. And in the same way, even with marriages, you know, once you get married, that is the one. That's your person. That's your person. Even if that person is terrible, you may have to, again, you know, to go into the, the, the few cases of abuse that make up the whole divorce landscape, you may have to physically separate. But what's interesting is that you've got this one flesh union and you almost have the same thing. Someone made this comparison too. There's a one flesh 
symbiotic union between a mother and her baby. You're, you're, you're one flesh. And if you rip that baby out, excuse me for being graphic, you're tearing that one flesh apart. And it's the same with a marriage. You have a one flesh union with, with your husband or your wife. And to rip that life and kill that, that marriage, there are great analogies. And you're right, it will bring unhappiness. There's no way that something disordered like that Instead of picking up a cross, and again, we don't want to suffer, right? We just avoid the cross at all, all, all times. We won't pick up our cross. We instead just want to cut, cut it down and just move on. But that's going to cause more suffering. That's the trick of the devil is later it's going to be worse than it ever could have possibly been if you stayed with God's grace and in his law. I'm looking at the time, and it's a struggle because I know we just have a few minutes, and there's so much yet to get to. But, but you just get us started there. I mean, the ubiquity of abortion and divorce—you can take them as separate entities, but it has encouraged and induced, I should say, so much brokenness. And there is such a gushing that is experienced by people, and they don't even know how to place it or source it. And that leads to corrosion in all areas of society. And just looking at teens, for example, and I know that we've talked about this before, uh, but I recently interviewed a functional medicine doctor, and, and she is a Catholic physician. We were talking about the impact of stress on hormones. And young teenage girls, if they're in a family where there is a brokenness or divorce, that could really mess up their hormones. We have these teen girls with issues of feeling this disassociative disorder. Then we have the rise of the transgender movement and all sorts of different issue or them saying my hormones are messed up. So I'm going to go to a doctor. I'm going to be put on birth control. This is the right thing to do. And that just further complicates the issues. So really understanding the whole person. And as you said, order the need for proper order. And and I guess as we wrap up, I just want to end on a note of hope here. And it is hopeful. You see just a few weeks ago, the Sikh Fellowship of Christian Students Focus Conference was extraordinary, of course, the March for Life today. And there's a lot of hope, which is a huge part of our call. So to be filled with hope, to live with joy, um, what have you observed, I guess, that gives hope as a final takeaway? Mm. Yeah, hope hope is what we have that the culture doesn't have, and everybody right. wants hope. So like they say, a little flame of, of a candle can light a whole room of darkness. So the darker it is, the brighter our light is, and, and we can't forget that. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Layla, for being with us. Hopefully, we can make this again uh, bi-weekly or something, whatever I'm on again, because there's just so much uh, that you cover that we need. May the Lord bless your work and your witness. What's the best way to check out your work, your books, your writings? Yeah, I'm at LaylaMiller.net, L-E-I-L-A Miller.net. Thank you so much for all you do. Thank you also to my guest earlier in the hour, Dr. John Borkalski, OBGYN doctor who previously performed abortions and then had a conversion that changed everything. We know there is much work to be done, especially on the grassroots level, but there's also much rejoicing. And thank you for joining me. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at the number one Brooke Taylor. Please keep Timory in your prayers during this time of maternity leave. And thank you to producer Jim, Patrick Alog, the family rosary across America is next. Have a great weekend. God bless you.